0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage.
1: From lack of fresh produce in inner-city stores to rundown homes with pest infestations and water leaks, where you live and work can have a profound impact on your personal well-being. On June 4th, the Washington Post brought together key government officials, doctors, and health experts to examine the impact of socioeconomic factors on the state of health. Nutrition inequality and food insecurity are issues largely connected to income disparities. In this segment, we'll look at the barriers to healthy eating faced by many lower-income Americans. Let's listen. Hello. Hi. We
0: promise to be as lively, if not livelier. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Very present. Exactly Very present, yes. (laughs) Um, Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm Mary Beth Albright. I am the food anchor here at The Washington Post and the host of several series, including Secret Table and Food Hacks. And I am so pleased to have two great minds in food and public health, here with us this morning, um, we have Eric Ajapong, who is chef and co-over co-owner of Pinch and Plate, and was also a finalist on Top Chef, as you probably know him. Yes,
1: People's Choice. Though, say. Definitely, yeah,
0: <laughs> People's Choice, absolutely. And Ya'el Lehman, who is president and CEO of the Food Trust. So two really great minds here. And a reminder to our audience and to myself mm-hmm. that you can tweet your questions. To us using the hashtag post live. Sounds good. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get at it, um, Ya'el. I want to start with you, and we use the term in the food, in the video food deserts. Um, I, I've spoken to a lot of people who live in areas without access to fresh foods. Um, a lot of them don't like the term right. and say, you know, don't call my area a desert. You yep. know, just use the term low access to fresh foods. Um, the USDA says that it affects fifteen million people, eleven percent of d c. And it's interesting because when I first heard the definition of food desert and within um, you know not, you don't have a grocery store within half a mile, I thought to myself, well, half a mile seems not that far away, but then you think to yourself, people don't have vehicles, yeah. right. And you think to yourself, when if you have a vehicle and you do your weekly grocery shopping trip, you load up on groceries, in your, but people who don't and have to take a bus right. or other tra- public transportation, that's difficult. So um, what contributes to low access to healthy food? What are those factors?
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting. The term food desert is controversial. Actually, it's not a term I like either. Um, and also um, in what we call underserved areas or areas that have low access to healthy foods, um, a lot of times there is actually a ton of food. It's just bad, bad food or right. high, low quality food, processed food, unhealthy foods. Um, but also the term desert, it doesn't bring up a great image and it's not uh, it can come off as disrespectful towards different people's communities. Sure. and the um, and also, um, I know for in our work at the Food trust, we're very interested in in transforming communities so that there's Farmers' markets and high-quality supermarkets, and and great food in the in the corner stores and in the uh, school cafeterias and all of that. And as you try to motivate people to do great things, uh, you know, talking about a desert doesn't exactly uh, get your. Let's go to the desert. Let's try to do something. Yeah. Exactly. Know, just go away. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, but there's a long history of disinvestment. Um, there's also um, uh, who actually was on our board of directors for many years, and who is a, I'm a big uh, fan of hers. Uh, she's one of my heroes. But as she was talking about, too, there is a, there's a long history also of, of in, institutional and structural racism as low-income communities and communities of color. There's a long history of redlining communities in DC and Philly, where our organization is based, and others. And there's this history of where banks actually wouldn't give uh, resources or loans to people who wanted to open up businesses, including food businesses. Right. Is this what you mean by redlining? Exactly. Red- yeah. what's also known as redlining. Yeah. So when you look back, when Shariki was talking about looking upstream, you know, it's important when we think about how did this all come about, um, there's a long uh, history about how that all came about.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting, upstream. Um, I think when you think about public health in that sense, that's a really interesting term because one of the first lessons I learned in school was if you see, it's pretty morbid, but if you see a body going down the river, you question yourself, why is that body going down the river? Right. You see another one, you're like, okay, what's up? You keep seeing three or four, and then you're like, okay, what's the source? Why, why is it exactly. happening? right? So you want to go to the source and actually figure it out, right. that upstream, right? right? What's the issue? Why? What's the, like the genesis of the, the problem? You go back to poverty, you go back to the racial you know, discriminations, go back to the redlining. Yeah. Um, there's so many little factors that actually contribute to the macro problem, you know?
0: Well, and this is important. I didn't mention it in my introduction, is that Eric actually has a master's in public health, which I, you know, w- when we were talking about what chef should we have on to talk about public health, it was my fir- he was my first choice, because um, I-, I love it when people have a master's in public health and something else, because I think the public health it, it, it connects with everything. sure. And when people are chefs and MPHs, yeah. I mean, and, and you've been on the ground in D.C. for so long. Sure. I mean, you've had boots on the ground with this. What do you see being done out there? I mean, people people ask chefs and, ta- and tap chefs to do so many different things mm-hmm. with the community. What do you see out there that's working, what's not working on a micro level?
2: Um, on a micro level, I think, one... Keeping people's dignity intact is huge. We're talking about food, but we're also talking about like the access to food and 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 being able to go out and with dignity, with pride, go out and buy food. Like that's a that's a tangible thing that people want to feel good about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, so just educating people on. Um, the right ways to buy food, how to, to, to look for like freshness when it comes. Like I remember, uh, even in New York when I was out there um, doing uh, a program with uh, Harlem Children's Zone, Healthy Harlem uh we would do like these supermarket tours and i would essentially go to the produce section and show children and parents and grandparents and their guardians what cantaloupe looks like or Mm -hmm. what honeydew looks like Mm -hmm. and tell them how to you know hold it and check for freshness and things like that things that they've never experienced that's the part of the dignity that i really love you know giving them that that power to say i can go to any supermarket in the world and know how to pick a really fresh watermelon or know how to pick something that right there is, you know, you teach a man to fish, you know, he he lives forever, right? So that's the type of um, uh, access and dignity that I really, um, I think, is is huge, and is a really uh, big, pivotal part into, like, the first step to, to, you know, security.
0: And dignity is, I'm glad you brought this up, because, um, I mean, moving on to the federal government, which is a much bigger picture, obviously, Mm -hmm. but we're here in Washington. Let's talk about sure. it. <laughs> um, uh, w- w- we're talking about SNAP and WIC mm-hmm. and um, those programs. I- do you find that there is still a stigma involved in that, or is there a stigma? Um, and especially with the you know federal debates that are going on with right. that, mm-hmm. and the kind of foods that are allowed are not allowed. Uh, what's yeah. what's going on with that? I know. What do you think? Yeah,
1: stigma is a big part of this, and. You know, policymakers have stigma around uh, folks that, so if folks here aren't aware of the SNAP program, it stands for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, formerly known as food stamps. Mm-hmm. And so um, yes, there's a huge stigma around on the policymaker side. We also found that on the recipient side, though, yeah. it can be a barrier. So um, at the food trust, we've um, been working with a group um, The Food Resource Action Center, FRAC, we always call them, uh, based here in DC. They advocate for uh, SNAP benefits. And um, together we've gone to three different cities Houston, um, Denver, and Los Angeles. And we talked to folks about what are the barriers to people accessing SNAP. Um, And part of it is personal. People say, I just, I don't wanna, you know, it's like a personal feeling of shame. Mm -hmm. Uh, which we need to change that narrative for people because it's one of the ways SNAP is so important. It's not only gives you money in your pocket to pay for food. If you have more money in your pocket to pay for food, then yeah, the money other money can else. for rent and everything else that you need in your absolutely. life. And um, no, it's yes, absolutely. And and on the policymaker side, we need to bring we need to bring people here to the hill to tell their stories so that people can meet folks and realize hey, these are just regular folks. And most of these folks, it's just they're temporarily needing to be on SNAP. You yeah. know, They lost their job. They had a health issue. And so um, we need people to be out there and telling their stories and explaining um, so that policymakers don't have a weird idea in their head.
2: For sure. Yeah. And also, I think another thing, too, about SNAP, and, and there's also different ways to spend. yeah Yeah, those benefits right you don't necessarily need to go to a supermarket and spend the money that you get from you know snap you can go to a csa you can go to a church you can get like there's so many different like uh, community supported agriculture programs out here in dc and just anywhere really where you can use those benefits and get fresh food and it doesn't necessarily need to be out in the open if you have that sort of like shame or whatever necessarily you don't have to um but i mean these these are options that are out there
0: Yeah, and there are programs, I know, nonprofits and corporations who will double your dollars when you go to a farmer's market and that kind of thing. And those kinds of partnerships, I think, are important, both on a small level and on a large level. I know there are um, nonprofits who will go into corner stores in places with low fresh food access and will say, we'll give you all of this fresh food Mm -hmm. and we'll buy it back if people don't buy it. Because, you know, the corner stores are businesses too. And if they put out fresh food and people don't buy it, they lose money. They're a small business and they've got to survive too. So how important do you think those partnerships are both on a nonprofit level and on a corporate level?
2: I think it's really important um, because it not only combines like the mission, but also combines the community behind it, right? You wanna, we're we're talking about eating healthy, we're talking about fresh food, we're talking about access to all of that. Um, And it's great when you have community leaders um, spearheading these type of initiatives in the corner stores and folks that look like, you know, the people that live in their cities and their communities, Um, So if you see a gentleman or a lady that is, you know, in a supermarket and is advocating, hey, eat fresh food, and we're, you know, we're taking up little stocks and slots in in this corner market just for you guys to come in and, you know, available for you, um, I think that's a really good start. Yeah.
1: Yeah, actually, that's the exactly kind of work we do at the Food exactly, Trust. Yeah.
2: And,
1: uh, so that's an easy question for right. me. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, it's like a soft, yeah. the softball. Uh, the, uh, no. I mean, it should be, but it's not being done more. No, no, so. no, no. <laughs> no, no. But uh, yeah, so we at the Food Trust, we've been uh, working in corner stores and uh, accepting SNAP at farmers markets Perfect. now for you know, 10, 20 years. The, the corner store work in particular uh, I think is is wonderful, especially if there isn't a, a high quality grocery store in your neighborhood. Right. Sometimes that's all that's available are these corner stores or slightly larger Superettes. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, what we call our Healthy Corner Store uh, Initiative. Uh, One of the stores that we work with, Ferry Avenue Market in Camden, New Jersey. Uh, We were talking with one guy, well, one of our staff, Anna Ramos, she was telling me the story of this one guy, Edward Logan. He's like like 70 years old. He'd been going to the market every day, Uh. and he would go get lottery tickets, and he would get food. But then he was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, and then he realized he had to change how he was eating. And uh, we had staff there, and we were doing, even though it's these, like, kind of small stores, we have staff there that are doing, like, cooking demonstrations That's and pretty, giving whoa, out whoa. samples. That's awesome. <laughs> and so we were, and then in the course of that, we also distribute, like you were talking about, these incentives, which make healthy foods more affordable, handing him what we call food bucks. And so uh, giving him $4 in food bucks that you can use to buy healthy food in the store. We work with the corner store operator to incorporate healthier foods. Yeah. Uh, and he can, now he's telling us that his weight is down and That's his fair. blood pressure is down and all of these things. So you know, being there in the corner stores is a great intervention point. It's
0: and it's a creation of a community, I would think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is where, you know, a lot of times people are coming to these small stores two, three times a day. We did one. It's
2: um, a great one, point. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's an yeah, yeah, yeah. point. People are visiting yeah. these stores quite often, right? Because it. it's communal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's I'm sorry to cut you off. No, no, that's, no. That's, it's that's a, valid, it's really Yeah, true. yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right.
1: So it's a great spot where also we've partnered with hospitals where they'll actually, it sounds crazy, but they'll actually hang out in the back of the store and they have like a scale. Oh
2: my God. And they t-
1: actually that's take funny. blood pressure. I'm serious. Wow, that's awesome. But it's worked really well. It's be, But it's also coming to where people are at. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And,
0: um, well, that's the kind of thing uh, during the first session they were talking about in the Kaiser study is is how do you create that kind of community, right? Because if they didn't See that guy for a day. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, "Something's up," sure. and sure. probably check in on him. And that's a kind of community that you can create, given the infrastructure that we have now. Yeah. But also be forward thinking about how we can improve the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, so we've talked about corporations. We talked about the federal government. We talked about state government. But how do we? What is the individual? There are a lot of individual things that individuals can do mm-hmm. without taking any responsibility away from anybody else. Sure. So I'm thinking about like co-ops. I'm thinking about community gardens. Um, where does that fit in? I mean, I, it, I, I, I don't, it's almost like you don't want to talk about it because it, it feels like you're taking responsibility away from other no. things. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I, I want to make sure that we look at you things that it, an sure. individual can do.
2: Absolutely. Um, I think even going a little bit deeper into that, when you talk about like the, the community gardens and things like that, you want people to access that, obviously. right. But I think the education goes a little bit further than that. And these are great points for you to not only nourish your body but satiate your body, right? I think when folks in low-income communities think about feeding themselves, I don't think nourishment is necessarily the first thought. It's feet. I need to just feel full. I need to feel satiated. Yeah. Right. Um, so then you're going mm-hmm. to the fried, you are going into the carbs, you go to the breads, mm-hmm. which necessarily aren't the, the most impactful when it comes to nutrients. Right. So when you go to these gardens, again, the education is or these community um, spots, these the education is so important. Why do you need to do this? Right. Not necessarily telling people, mm-hmm. but letting them know. Right. Wisdom is more better than the knowledge, I think, at that point. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I love I love community gardens and all these uh, different ways of transforming the food environments we live in. Uh, a lot of our approach has been around looking at the physical neighborhoods yeah. and saying, what's, what's physically here in the neighborhood and how can we transform it? Uh, one term that some folks use also is foodscape instead of landscape. How yeah. can we build a beautiful foodscape mm-hmm. so that when you're looking out, you see um, lots of different opportunities to be able to eat healthy, as opposed to the opposite. You know, sure. so you see a community garden, you see a farmer's market, you know, pass the rec center, and there's actually healthy foods inside at the school environment. The mm-hmm. vending is healthy, and the school cafeterias offer mm-hmm. good foods. Um, you know, how can we transform all the all, all neighborhoods so that they have beautiful foodscapes? Yeah.
0: Well, and it's interesting, too, because you think about, um, there was an article about portion sizes in restaurants, right? And the comments, I don't want to generalize, but a lot of the comments, many comments, were divided along socioeconomic lines. Some of the people were saying, "Oh yes, you're right. Portion sizes are too are too big," and then there were a lot of people who were like, "Look, I can only afford to eat out once a month, yeah. and when I take something back from a restaurant, I can enjoy it the next day, or I can share it with my brother who can't afford to eat out at all." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it, it it's interesting when just the perspective change, you oh, know. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so uh, yeah, it's just uh, it, it, a lot of this is along That's those kinds point. of those kinds of lines. Um. Eric, you own your own business, yeah. Pinch and Plate, yeah. um, which is private dinners, catering, um, also pop-up dinners around the city. Yeah, yeah, I know you're, you're planning <laughs> a restaurant, so. Um, Wait, are you? I am. OK. Breaking right, news. Oh, OK. Um, yeah, so you want to tell us more right I'm now?
2: Um, we'll save. <laughs> we got a couple All right, things I, I still got two and a
0: half minutes to work on you. Um, where do you get your ingredients from?
2: Oh, man. Um, I try to stay as local as possible, and um, I, there's a there's a really great market in Tacoma, the Red Apple Market, that um, is it's local to and it's communal, um, but it also sources a lot of great Caribbean and West African um, ingredients. So uh, that's a spot that I enjoy. Union Market is a great place. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I the was farm, just there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Union They're Market cool. is amazing, um, and then li- literally the farmers' markets in Silver Springs. Just literally, I try to support um, as much as possible, and and really put the, the you know the work behind the gospel. I try to preach at least, you know, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um,
0: so I want to talk in our last couple of minutes yeah. about um, reality TV, social media. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> we want to know everything. Um, but but how? Social media and reality television have affected the way that we eat. Mm, So, right now, a big thing on YouTube are these like videos where people order. A ton of food. They're called mukbang videos, yeah. and people will order a ton of food. The host will Wait, order it. I, I've not heard of this. Yeah, it's oh, pretty oh, insane, yeah. actually. I mean, go ahead. Just yeah. Me right. explain, explain. Okay.
2: Uh, okay. To my knowledge, the best of my knowledge is like it's, it's really just people just ordering a bunch of food and eating it in front of the camera. It's super gluttonous. <laughs> it's just it's. But uh, they get
0: millions of hits.
2: Yeah, and they get millions of views. It's just... I don't know if. Wait,
1: explain. Just I, in front of a table. Just, of food. just in front of a
2: table, and, and they'll have like a ton of food. five pounds of crab legs with like butter and hot sauce, and just going at it oh, okay and yeah 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 i don't know why
1: and the quantity is but what it's people all about eat- i guess a so, people watch I'm,
2: i don't know what it is i mean i think it goes to i'm
1: trying to understand <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, america's infatuation i know america's infatuation would just like it's over... not just
0: america this is the thing okay. and so
2: it's it's a lot
0: well the question is yeah. uh, between yeah. that and the and the advent of co- cooking competition television yeah. which is now in it it's been around for about 20 years sure. How is that affecting the way that we eat and the way that we perceive food? Mm. I
2: think um, <laughs> the best way to answer that I think is is with people are looking for sexy food, right? People are looking for Instagrammable food, right? So you have a lot of food that is really good mm. and still nutritious and still as great as you know anything else, but doesn't look as good, right? Physically, right. and is getting put to the side. So a lot of people necessarily are looking at the meal and and the product to be show worthy right and not necessarily like there's a show Ugly Delicious I think right and it totally just evaporates that whole idea and that notion right but just going back to just food doesn't necessarily need to look and feel as beautiful as it just needs to you know feed you and satiate you and and bring you to a communal point you know Um, so I think that's one thing that social media and and reality TV it's probably my fault as well Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, but yeah I mean it, it all ties into a little bit I think um, yeah, that's 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 pretty much. I don't know. It's a weird topic. Well,
1: it's... I think also going back to Deepak's point about technology and how it can be used for good, if we wanted to. Exactly. I'll just right. I'll just well like clear. take this in a different direction for well a second, yeah, yeah. which Absolutely. is uh, so. For example, in Philly, um, we were working with young people in high schools and things, and saying to them, "What would you want to do to make your school community or Philadelphia, where we're based? We work nationally, so sure, we're based sure. in Philly." Um, and uh, said, "What would you want to do?" So there was one girl, Priscilla, and some others that worked with some of our staff, Ayana Potts and Paulette uh, Carpenter, and others. And said, "They said we we have a really bad water access problem. Yeah. And in fact, like all the water stations had these skull and crossbone kind of thing over it. And um, they were talking about how what can we do to bring water into the school." So we brought we worked with them, brought them to city council. They testified. Um, they went to the school reform commission and talked about the problem. But it was over social media yeah. that um, and working with Helen Gim, one of the uh, uh, council city council women. Um, but it was also over social media that we were also saying to the superintendent, like, let's do this. You can do this. Let's put new water stations in sure. all the Philly schools. And um, it was actually over Twitter that we found out. Dr. Height, who I love, the superintendent, says, OK, we're going to do it. That's we were awesome. like, what? OK. <laughs> really cool. But it was actually over social media he announced it. Wow. And now there's, um, there's like, I think it's Two or three new water stations in every uh, Philadelphia public school, right. uh, increasing access for 130,000 students.
2: So clearly, that's the good what social media. But can do and like right, you right. can
1: encourage like over social media, you can also give credit to people, and they can give like mm-hmm. they can feel good about what they're doing, and the that, kiss w- and that, the that can like you know <laughs> yeah. it can be retweeted, and yeah. they can get really wonderful recognition over social media for doing the right thing. Absolutely.
0: It all comes back to Deepak. That's what it is. Right? <laughs> it all comes. Just I was, to I was inspired. <laughs> yeah, we all were. He's Eric, I'm going to give you one, uh, one more chance.
2: It's coming. Um, 2020 is definitely the okay. year that I have in mind. D.C. is the spot that I have in mind. Um, those like initial traction points are happening right now. So, yeah, a lot more to come. Do you
0: want to give me a neighborhood?
2: Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Um, are you to? I, I don't know if I'm allowed to, to be honest. But um, <laughs> I like Shaw.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first.
2: thank you my friend okay oh my god it's hilarious right. <laughs> she's I good at what so, she does right exclusive. exclusive yeah exactly all right uh,
0: unfortunately yeah. really unfortunately that's all the time we have right. for today if i had another hour i'd get the name too
2: Right. Yeah. Um, i
0: want to thank eric really thank eric adjepong um and yeah layman thank you so much for joining me and it's a reminder to our audience if you want to watch any of the interviews or tweet that amazing exclusive (laughs) Um, or selected highlights from today's program, head to WashingtonPostLive.com. Thank you all so much for being here. I think this was a great program this morning. Thank you. you Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.